We uh, wanted to take some time this morning um, to pray corporately together. Um, churches uh, don't pray in church these days. Isn't that weird, right? Um, and we don't want to do that. We want to buck that trend. We want to pray. Specifically, as you know, um, globally, uh, there is... Um, scare, fear around the spread of the coronavirus. And I just, wanted to, I just wanted to remind all of us this morning that we are not people of fear, people of faith. Amen? I, 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 I know that sometimes, you know, it's kind of corny and catchy and whatever, but, but really, like that, that grounds us. We are not people of fear. We're people of faith. That doesn't mean that we're not careful, we don't use our brain and do what we need to do. It means that we are not driven and dictated by fear of what's going on. That's why what Jamie sang and the worship team did this morning is so powerful, such a good reminder for us. So I just, I wanted us to spend some time praying this morning. For what? Well, let's pray for our government leaders and officials and various people who are in charge that they would act with wisdom, with discernment. That they would seek people who would be able to obviously give them good advice and counsel, okay, to be able to govern well. We could also pray for families who've been affected by this and are afraid, are in fear. Families who've lost loved ones because of it and families who are anxious in light of this. So we could pray along those lines and, and just let's be people of faith and not of fear, okay? And when we have opportunities this upcoming week to engage people in conversation that we would, again, respond and act as people of faith and not out of fear. So I just want to lead us to, and we're not going to pray long, okay, guys? Just two, three minutes or so. So just as you feel comfortable, if you just want to sit you can you kneel you can kneel you want to stand remember we're a church that really really encourages people to express in freedom how they best worship God and so the next couple minutes or so just on our own just on our own just lift up as the spirit leads some of the things I shared or some of the things that I didn't share that God might be prompting on your heart. And in a couple minutes, I'm going to go ahead and, and pray for and on behalf of us. Let's be people of prayer. Let's pray, you guys. And I echo that prayer, Father. And we do thank you that you reminded us all this morning that you are our God. You sit on the throne, that you still rule and you reign. And in the midst of circumstances that would shout at us chaos and, and, and concern, anxiety, and worry that, that you say over and over and throughout Scripture, do not be afraid, do not be afraid, do not be afraid, for I am the Lord your God. And so, Lord, help us to be people of faith in that God and not people of fear. And not just in our words, but in our actions, may we live out and be a testimony witness to the fact that we serve and worship a God who has risen from the grave and has conquered Satan, sin, and death and will return one day to restore and renew everything. So it's in that, God, we anchor our hope and our faith. Lord, I'll pray one more thing, Lord. You feel just being prompted to this, Lord. We're about to, this morning, talk about a very, very hard, difficult topic that will be, for some of us, emotionally gut-wrenching as we talk about forgiveness. And I just want to pray, Lord, as we are praying right now, that your Holy Spirit would speak. And that your Holy Spirit will bring healing where healing needs to happen. Restoration where restoration is possible. Reconciliation where reconciliation is possible. Maybe most of all, courage, God, to be honest with where we are this morning. In our relationships. I just pray, ask Lord, because I can't do this work. None of us can. It's your work. So we just want to lift up, God, this sacred space and this sacred time to you. 
We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, I, I just wanted to briefly echo one more time uh, this shared by CC during the announcement time. But I, I just would love to have um, those of you maybe visiting for the first time or you've been coming but you haven't signed up or haven't uh, RSVP to the newcomers luncheon. Man, I'd love to see you there. I'd love, love to see you there. Jenny and I, this is one of our favorite things to do to host this as we get to personally interact with, along with the rest of the staff. So if this is like your last minister, yep, I didn't RSVP, but I'd love to go. Please go back to the Newcom Central table at the uh, end of the service, and there will be information there for you. So we'd love to see last-minute stragglers there. Um, we have a lot of room to cover this morning. Um, and uh, as I mentioned in my prayer, for the next two weeks, you guys, listen, we're talking about two practices that are vital to being people of faith. One is repentance, and that is when you've done some wrong to someone, and it's you going to ask for their forgiveness, and then also forgiveness, which is the more difficult act of forgiving people that have wronged you. Um, it's a two-parter, and, and, and I'm going to give you a heads up. Like, I'm going to leave you in a very difficult space this morning because there won't be resolution. Like the resolution of how do we do this and what does this mean comes next Sunday. Because it's a big topic. Frankly, I could spend three, four weeks on this. And I'm trying to squeeze it in. And so I, I've been praying for you this week. And, and I'm praying for you throughout today that God would speak and that God would move. Uh, before we get there, there's a, a, a series of uh, anchoring things that I need, to, I need to establish, okay? Because you need to understand this, this big thing, the practice of relationship repair in the context of what we are called to do and be as followers of Jesus, okay? So there's going to be that, that laying the foundation part, and then we will um, get to repentance and forgiveness so we're we're talking about discipleship because this is the thing that Jesus told us to do to, to be about and to make a disciple is someone who follows Jesus invites others to follow Jesus and follows Jesus in community and the book of Acts which we briefly looked at is is a picture of the early disciples or followers of Jesus doing that now you and I are familiar with Acts 2 Acts 4 and that is how they're living this life out in community. But what, what precedes that actually is a sermon that Apostle Peter preaches. And we're going to look at that brief text of, not his sermon, but the response to his sermon that again anchors us in this picture of the community, kingdom community that we see. Okay? So open your Bibles with me and we're at Acts 2 starting at verse 37. It says, when the people heard this, that is, Peter has just preached this sermon, Apostle Peter, okay? They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? To which the modern church has said, everybody close your eyes. And if you want to accept Jesus, I want you to raise your hands. Okay? Remember, we're, we're constantly in this church like unlearning things, right? And we're trying to the best of our ability remain faithful to what Scripture says. Can I just say this thing? I know it's maybe controversial. Altar call, as we've learned it, is not in the Bible. So when people ask me, why don't the new community do altar call? I go, altar call is baptism. Altar call, public confession of faith, was never like, listen, I did that for like 20 years because it's really good for my ego. I mean, I feel really good when everybody close your eyes, raise your hands. And, every, you know, I'm like, whoa, look at. But the problem is statistics over and over again have told us that people who raise their hands don't necessarily walk with Jesus. That's your story, some of you in here. What is, listen to what Peter says. How do you respond? He says, verse 38, repent and be, what? 
baptize every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord God will call. What is Peter doing here? He's doing what Jesus told him to do. He's making disciples and calling them to do what disciples do, right? So he's going and he's teaching and he is baptizing, baptism. We talked about this last week. Listen, and we're gonna, I'm just gonna briefly hit on this, okay? Briefly hit on this. Baptism, it's, 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 it's at the heart, I mean, it's, it's at the heart. I know uh, that many of us just kind of shrug it up, but it's at the heart, the more I look at scripture, of what being a follower of Jesus is. And real quick, review from last, baptism is said is God's idea. Jesus says to do it. It's not something that man or church tradition made up. Secondly, Jesus specifically commanded us to do it. Two things in terms of sacraments that Jesus said, this is what you are to do until I come back. One is sacrament, Lord the Supper, right? And the other is baptism. Why is this so important? Because baptism is a powerful declaration of the gospel. With every baptism, we talked about this last week, we are declaring visually and viscerally God's power to rescue. Has anybody been rescued this morning from the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light? And baptism is this powerful declaration of our rescue. Baptism shines a big fat spotlight on the rescuer. That's why God says, I need you to do that so that this visual sermon that people can see of who I am and what I'm about. Now, it's also a declaration not of who God is, but a declaration of what we do, right? And this is where we come in. The Bible says that we have been baptized into Christ Jesus, meaning baptism, one, symbolizes and declares that when we are saved, we are not saved into this American westernized version of oh, as long as my relationship. No, we are baptized into a community. You can't have Jesus without community. I'm going to say that again. I know this is so foreign to American Christianity. There is no such thing in the scripture as a solo Christian without community. We're the body of Christ. It's possible to have Jesus without community in as much as it's possible if I were to cut off my right arm for that right arm to survive without the rest of my body. It can't. So baptism is declaring I am not going to do this thing on my own. I'm inviting a community of people because that's where we follow Jesus. But also it's a declaration of what? It is a declaration of I am declaring that I am putting my hand to the plow and I'm not looking back. It's a declaration of I declare my allegiance to Jesus. I'm following. No, it doesn't, it doesn't mean we're perfect. It doesn't mean we don't mess up. Don't let that deter you. It doesn't mean that all of a sudden we don't struggle with sin. What it does mean is we're saying I am about for God's glory in his kingdom. I, I am going choosing. I am choosing this day, flawed, fallible week, but I am choosing this day to follow Jesus. Can I tell you something? You know what I've been hearing this week, this past week? I've been hearing people like this. Some people go, you know, as soon as you gave that challenge, I started feeling all kinds of, Whoa! Like I started hearing these loud voices in my head like, don't do it, don't do it, don't. I hear the, oh, what is that? You know what that's called? That's called spiritual warfare. By the way, if you experience spiritual warfare, you have these strong voices that don't do it. That's a very good sign that what you're about to do is about to push back the darkness. So if you're sitting there and you're going, why, why, what, what is it? Why am I feeling that? Peter gives challenges all the time and I'm like, nah. But why is it? What is going? Pay attention to that. Secondly, some people said, I don't want to do it because that means accountability goes way up. Let me just say this. Nothing in my life that is of significance has happened without strong accountability. I have never overcome besetting sin without accountability. I have never grown in my spiritual disciplines, fasting, prayer, without accountability. Accountability is critical for growth. 
to have people who say, I will love you no matter what, I will accept you no matter what, but because I love you, I will not leave you where you're at. That is like oxygen. So if you're afraid of accountability, and that's why you don't want to be baptized, that might be the very reason why you should. And lastly, real quick, some people go, I was baptized as a baby. Should I give you a... The question is not, did it count? <laughs> Sorry. I was baptized as a baby. Did it count? It's not a, it, why? Because it's not a salvation issue. Baptism doesn't save you. Amen? Salvation comes through faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone. The question that did it count, the question is, what did it mean? Again, for me, it's an issue of integrity. What do I mean? I could care less, and I don't think God really cares whether you get baptized again if you were baptized as a kid. Here's what this means, though. I want to be a person of integrity. What does that mean? Anything that I do in the Christian life, I want to do it because it means something. I don't want to just do it because somebody tells me to do it. I want to do it because it's supposed I want to do whatever, because it means something. So the question has been, what did it mean for you whenever it is that you were baptized? Baptism. So, for the next two Sundays, as we lead up to, there's a basket up here, and there is a, a basket at Newcom Central for anybody, and you got that card. You got that card. All of us got that card. This card, fill it out and say, I want to be baptized. No pressure. There's no guilt to manipulate. You just do business with God on your own. And if and when you're ready, here, back, next two Sundays. We okay? All right. And talk it amongst yourselves together about baptism in community. Like, hey, I'm thinking about this. We, I think it's a good exercise, you guys. Back to the text. Verse 40. So in many other words, Peter warned them. And he pleaded with them, save yourself from hell. Save yourselves from this, not hell, what? Corrupt generation and those who accepted his message were baptized. About 3,000 were added to their number that daily. Listen, again, some more unlearning and unpacking. Peter's gospel call is not save yourself from hell. It is save yourself from what? Listen, the gospel that some of us grew up with was what? The sum total of Christian life was Jesus forgave you so you don't go to hell. It's like fire insurance, right? Listen, and I'm not swearing here, okay? I'm not swearing here. People try to scare the hell right out of me as a kid. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody sitting here forced to watch a movie called A Thief in the Night? Okay. If you're sitting there going, what the heck is that? <laughs> Good for you. Okay. You are blessed. You are, you are blessed because for some of us, it scarred us for life. A thief in the night, if you don't know what it is, you can Google it. Don't do it. Google it at home. It was a B, B-rated movie. It was like D-rated movie, okay, that basically portrayed rapture. It instilled fear in mass to a group of kids, okay, about what was going to happen at the end times. And, and if you weren't saved, okay, you were going to be one of the last ones. Like, it, it just created this hysteria, okay. And I kid you not. Thousands of kids, Korean-American kids that grew up in Chicago, became Christian because they were scared of going to hell. I'm having a moment right now. I'm having like, I'm having like flashbacks. Okay? Now listen, listen. The gospel call. I'm not minimizing the reality of hell. We'll get to them at some other sermon point, sermon, okay? But the gospel call from Peter is save yourself from this corrupt. Why? Listen, listen, why? And this is so important. I've said what you what what what, what people are safe to, to, what, what people what we say. <laughs> See, I, I'm just like messed up right now, okay? <laughs> the reason why this is important is this. Because the sum total of your faith is, I've been saved so I can go to heaven. I think it was Charles Spurgeon who said this. You have a bunch of people who are so heavenly minded, there's no earthly good. They have no concept of what is my life before I die though. Like what is this all about? 
And Paul and the Gospels throughout New Testament, they tell us, Peter says, what is a generation? Think about it. What is a generation? What is a generation? You and I live in a culture where people are constantly talking about generations. Builder generation, boomer generation. I'm part of the Gen X. Then you had the millennials. Then you had the Gen Y. And now you have Gen Z. Generation is more than just how old you are. Generation speaks of an entire culture. Generation speaks of your mindset, your attitude, your worldview about everything. What is Peter saying? Listen, the gospel's call is not be saved so you can go to heaven. The gospel call is you are entering a different realm where your worldview, your mindset, your attitude about everything changes. Jesus' gospel call was what? Repent and receive the kingdom. Paul says you are transferring from the kingdom of darkness into what? The kingdom of light. The gospel call is accepting God's kingdom, God's rule, God's reign in our lives in such a way that our attitude, our worldview, our value system about money, sex, racial identity, relationships, everything changes. Are you with me, church? See, we somebody said, whew. See, we follow a king who comes and says, in my rule, in my kingdom, everything is different. It is so different that if you were to live like this, the world is going to look at you like you're weird. Because this kingdom, check this out, this kingdom is ruled by a king who wins our salvation through losing, who comes to power via weakness and service, and comes to riches by giving everything away. And anybody who wants to follow this king embraces these kingdom values and your world is turned upside down. Your world is turned upside down. Are you with me, church? That's what it means to be a Christian. And by the way, the value system in this kingdom is guided by love and service. You are never more like this king than when you wrap a towel around your waist and you wash feet of people. Yes, even people who are about to betray you. You are and are accepting this reign, this rule. And and it, it upends our value system, our attitude about everything. And by the way, that's what new community is constantly talking about, is that that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Now, all of this, all of this reminds us of what the purpose of the church is. Listen, you guys, purpose of the church is to be an outpost of the kingdom. This is one of the ways that you and I invite the world to follow Jesus. Do you not understand what this is? This is an output. In other words, this is to be that space where inviting unbelieving world to say, hey, come and watch, come and listen, come and observe what it looks like to do life in the kingdom. Because in the kingdom, the value system that guides us are things like love, peace, justice, reconciliation, generosity. We are inviting the world to come and watch how it, and it is in this context, listen, that Jesus preaches what's called the Sermon on the Mount. You know what the Sermon on the Mount is? Sermon on the Mount is not, you're supposed to live like this so you can go to heaven. Sermon on the Mount describes how people in the kingdom to do life together. And there's a lot of teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. But the primary thing, you guys, that drives the Sermon on the Mount, listen, is how people in the kingdom do relationships. Namely, repentance. That is, when you've wronged someone. And forgiveness. That is when somebody has wronged you. Let me be really clear. The most powerful, profound way that you and I witness our lives as kingdom people is how. We do relationships, especially when we've been hurt and when we hurt others. Is this hard to do? Of course it is. Can I just say up front, I'm bad at this. I'm bad at asking for forgiveness, and I'm also bad at forgiving people when they wrong me. I am bad at this, so I am preaching to myself this morning. Y'all are welcome to listen in to me preaching to myself this morning. And if you get anything out of it, because I know 
You guys don't need to hear this because y'all are perfect. So I'm just going to, I'm just going <laughs> to. You guys ready? Next two weeks. What do we do when we wrong someone? And what do we do when we are wronged? Turn your Bibles. Matthew 5. We're going to go to a lot of places this morning. A lot of places this morning. Matthew 5. Verse 23, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and then remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Here's what Jesus is saying. You're in the middle of worship like you were today. And if you're in the middle of worship, you all of a sudden realize that somebody has something against you because of something you did you did something. You wronged them. You hurt them. And Jesus is saying the urgency of the matter is such that you need to stop whatever you're doing, walk out of those doors, and you need to the best ability to do relationship repair. Now, you're sitting here, 2020, going, what's the big deal? Here's the big deal. This is a ridiculous request. Why? There's only one altar. It's in Jerusalem. Most people had to travel for days to get to Jerusalem. You travel for days, you've cost a lot of money, and you're there, and you realize, ah, oh, what? And you realize, in order for me to do that, it's costly, it's inconvenient, it's hard, it's difficult. And Jesus says, yes. Kingdom people, the urgency of the matter is such that if you've wronged somebody, it doesn't matter how difficult, inconvenient, costly it is go and make it right go and make it right if you know that you've done something wrong it's good for your soul to address it you guys guilt even unacknowledged guilt will eat away your soul listen I Listen, listen, there are some of us sitting in here. By the way, this is the easier part. Wait till we get to forgiveness. This is the easy. So if you're sitting there going, oh my gosh, I don't know if you're ready for forgiveness. Listen, if you are sitting here this morning and you know that you've wronged someone, you've hurt someone, and I don't know what the reasons are, guilt, unacknowledged guilt will eat away at your soul. It will not just go away. It won't just disappear. It is good for your soul and my soul when we've wronged someone to confess it. So if I'm aware that somebody is something is because of something that I've done, Jesus says, go back and ask for forgiveness. Make it right. That's repentance. Then in the most thorough teaching on forgiveness, he says something that doesn't even make any sense. It doesn't even make any sense. Because listen to what he says. Matthew 18, 15. If your brother or sister sins against you, you go and point out their fault. Just be tender to two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. So here's what she's saying. If somebody isn't something to you, if they've offended you, he says what? He says, you go to them. To which we go, uh-uh. I'm not doing I'm not doing that. They did it to me, so why should I? Here's one of the issues with that, is that they might be thinking and saying, saying the same thing about you. Do you know how many times as a pastor I've sat doing marital counseling with people and they're stuck in their relationship unraveling. Why? Because one person's like, it's their fault they should come to me. The other person's like, it's their fault they should come to me. And they're saying that about each other and nothing gets done. Some of you are sitting here and you're going, there's no way I'm going to do that. What if they're saying the same thing about you? How does that relationship get repaired? How does that relationship get repaired? 
Now Jesus says, look, if somebody does something against you, you go, you come to me. He says, that's how it works in the world. But in the kingdom, he says, it doesn't matter who started it. It doesn't matter who's more to blame. If you know that things are not right, it's your move to do relationship repair. Don't wait for that person to come to you to which you go, that's just ridiculous. Who would ever do that? Can you give me an example of someone who did that? See how hard this is? Peter, can you give an example of someone who literally had no fault of their own? None. Which is like almost never true with you and me. He came from heaven to earth to? What do you think that means? Romans 5? For God showed us his love for us in this while we were, forget you, I'm not going to you, you're nothing to me. He initiated relationship repair. Oh, I can't tell you how often I go, I wish you didn't. Show me that example. Now, let me be really clear. We're going to talk about this in forgiveness. Forgiveness is not letting that person continue to sin against you. Sometimes people use your desire for relationship repair to do harm to you. It's never loving to let someone sin against you. Can I get an amen? So we're going to talk about that. But here's what Jesus is saying. He is saying, in the kingdom, if you know that something isn't right, to the best of your ability, you initiate relationship. Can I just read some of you? Because some of you are going, oh, this is awesome. Because I can't wait to do relationship repair. Because I got some people I can't. Can I just say this? Listen, listen. Do you know why? This is why we need community. We need the body. Because let me say this. Some of the relationship unraveling that's happening, all you need is for someone to go, that's your issue, not their issue. You need someone to go, that's your ego, that's your pride. Peter, that's your insecurity. Love covers over a multitude of meaning, meaning. Not always. Sometimes the only thing that needs to happen for relationship repair is for you to go, God, help me to die to my ego, to my pride. Heal my insecurity that's causing this. Did you hear what I said? <sighs> Let's talk about repentance real quick before we talk about forgiveness. You know that a relationship is unraveling because of something you did. And all of us, some of you, how many of you are feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit right now? Anybody? Okay, I'm not looking up intention because I don't want to see. But let me just say this, in case you're sitting there and you're wondering, here's the difference between conviction of the Holy Spirit and condemnation. Conviction is from God. Condemnation is from Satan. Conviction leads us towards God. Condemnation pushes you away from God. Conviction makes us want to change. Condemnation says you're never going to change. Conviction leads to life. Condemnation leads to death and despair. Conviction builds you up. Condemnation tears you down. And most importantly, if you're going, is this conviction or condemnation? Conviction is really specific. It's tied to what you did, that event, that person, that behavior. Condemnation is this vague thing that just kind of... So if you're sitting here, and you're feeling conviction because as I'm talking, a specific person is coming to mind. A specific event is coming to mind. That is a conviction of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says, do not quench the Spirit. What that means is, if you are feeling conviction right now, if you go, no, 
eventually that voice gets dimmer and dimmer and dimmer and dimmer. So if you're sitting here right now and a specific person, event, or behavior is coming to mind, pray, Lord, help me to follow. What is repentance? Really quick. I have to be quick about these things because I'm going to come back around next week and do this. First of all, repentance, if you've done something wrong, is taking full responsibility for what you've done. You're not coming along and saying, you know, I did something wrong, but you know, you did something wrong too. Or my favorite line, you know, I did something wrong, but Jenny, you made me do it. (laughs) The devil is a liar. Repentance, repentance is even if the other person is 80% responsible, you're 20% responsible because I want to be really clear, there's almost no situation where they are 100% responsible. You take your part in the responsibility and you say, Jenny, I am sorry. No justification. I'm sorry. Secondly, repentance is asking for forgiveness without excuses. Is anybody familiar with the non-apology apology? Clap if you hate non-apology apologies. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Is there anything more frustrating than when somebody goes, I'm sorry if I offended you. I'm sorry if I hurt you. That is a non-apology apology. True repentance has I am sorry, period. When you say, I am sorry if, you're really saying, you know, I'm sorry, but if you weren't so small-minded, so sensitive, so blah, 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 you wouldn't be so hurt. And what you're doing is under the guise of apology, you are sticking a knife into them. It's a sham. Don't you hate it when politicians do that? Why do you do it? Third, repentance is offering to make changes. Genuine repentance, whether it be a relationship with God or others, is always entailing a change, not just in attitude, but in behavior. Repentance is me saying to Jenny, by the way, I can speak freely because Jenny's not here this morning. You can say, you can say, you can say. <laughs> repentance, repentance is, this happened two weeks ago, Jenny, I'm sorry. What do you think I can do different? Repentance is, Jenny, I'm sorry I did that. Can you tell me some things that I ought to do differently next time? And doing it. Is repentance hard? Oh, this ain't nothing compared to what forgiveness is. Because we're going to talk about forgiveness for the next two weeks. Again, no. Keep your eyes open. God, I just pray right now because there are people here who've been hurt. And there's deep wounds. And God, you know that I have zero desire to just bring back stuff up that's only going to hurt because you, you are a God of healer. You are a God of healing. You also remind us in order for there to be healing, there needs to be genuine forgiveness. So I just pray, speak, Lord, speak, Lord, speak, Lord. Before I talk to you about what forgiveness is, as we look at Jesus' most extensive parable on this, the parable of the unforgiving servant, let me tell you what forgiveness is not. Can I do that? Because here's the thing. The reason why I see so many Christians stuck in terms of forgiving is they have all kinds of confusing, erosy ideas that sometimes the church taught them. I am so sorry. I am so sorry. If you've been hurt by what the church said about forgiveness, I am sorry. I am sorry. I am sorry. Here's what forgiveness is not and what is before we enter into how we do it. First of all, forgiveness is not condoning. Can I get an amen? The reason why, the reason why some people are stuck is they think, they think they've been taught, if I forgive someone, am I condoning that what they did or what they did was okay? Forgiveness has nothing to do with that. Forgiveness, setting that person free in the depths of your heart. Forgiveness, resolving to live free from hatred, bitterness, and resentment has nothing to do with condoning what someone did. What they did was wrong. What they did was wrong. And it's okay to say that. Because it's got nothing to do with forgiveness. Secondly, forgiveness also is not forgetting. Oh, people who wrong us sometimes will say, well, you just need to forgive and forget. And some people think that's in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. 
Well, but, but, but Isaiah says, and he forgives, and he forgets all of our... Do you know what that means? That doesn't mean that God doesn't remember what you did. God, that means that God doesn't hold what you did against you. The reason why this is so important is in my 30 years of being a pastor, some people have asked... God, Peter, is, 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 it, is it true that if you forgive, that you're truly forgetting? No, because in some cases, it would be unwise and unsafe to forget. If he's done this 11 times in a row, forgiving him is a different issue than not letting him do it again. Some people are toxic and they're dangerous and they're going to hurt, abuse, manipulate again and again. Forgiveness has nothing to do with the fact that you will set up strong boundaries. Forgiveness has nothing to do with the fact that I might not be in the same room with you again. Forgiveness has nothing to do with forgetting. Can I get an amen? It's okay to forgive. I'm going to move out. It's okay to forgive. I'm going to get a restraining order. It's okay to forgive and let justice and consequences take. See, this is, I'm sorry if the church has lied or said things that are not helpful. Forgiveness is also not reconciliation. It takes two people to reconcile. Forgiving person does not mean that everything goes back to how it was before. Dangerous people will say things like, you need to forgive and we need to get back to... No, forgiveness doesn't mean that things are going to get back to the way they were. Do you hear me? You might not get into business with them again. That's okay. I've forgiven you. You may say, we're never going to be back together again. That's okay, because I forgive you. Forgiveness is not reconciliation. What is forgiveness? Forgiveness, though, is personal. What do I mean? You Listen, everybody look up here. You can't forgive institutions. Faceless, nameless institutions. When I meet people who are angry at the church and they can't move on, do you know why? Because you can't forgive the church it's someone in that church that hurts you. It's someone in that church that hurts you. And the reason why you're stuck is you have this, I, I can't forgive the church. You can't, there's a person you need to forgive. You can't forgive a company. No, there's a person in that company that you need to forgive. And some of you are stuck because you've been trying to forgive a faceless, nameless institution when forgiveness requires that you identify who the person is. And forgiveness is also a process. If you no longer daydream of killing that person, good job. Can I get an amen? See, this is what I'm saying. Some of you grew up in church where you, you were lied to that forgiveness is all of these other things, including you just right now know because the wrongs that have been done to you has shaped who you are. You are who you are because of years of responding to that wound and child of God, daughter, son, I am sorry on what was done to you. I am sorry on what was done to you. And I just want you to hear this right now, that it's okay to say, I'm not there yet. It's okay. And it's also okay to say, it's a process. You're not a bad Christian. Because you can't forgive that person. It's okay. It's okay. Did I mention that I'm going to leave you in a very hard place today? And you're going, it's, it's going to get harder? Yeah. Because next week, by the way, if you could think of people that you need to invite because they need to hear how to forgive, and what forgiveness is, pray for that person for this upcoming week. What is forgiveness? Let's look at this parable. I'm going to just make a couple comments today, and then we're going to wrap it up, and then we're going to come back next week. I apologize in advance for leaving in a difficult place, but you don't want to be here for two hours. Matthew 18, 21. 
And Peter came to Jesus and asked, here's the, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Peter does what many of us do. He has an erroneous view of forgiveness is. What do I mean? Peter says, how many times shall I forgive them? He thinks that forgiveness is for the benefit of the offender and not for you. The reason why he says that, same reason why you think. We think forgiveness is for that person who's wrong. So here's what we do. We go, I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to do something nice for you. I'm a good Christian after all. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to set you free from your guilt-ridden conscience. I'm going to set you free so you can go on with your life. I'm going to. The problem is a lot of times the people who wronged you could care less. The people who wronged you are not doing that because they don't know sometimes, or even if they do, they don't care. So here's what we do. We wait, and we wait, and we wait. I'm going to do you a favor. I'm going to wait. I'm going to do you a favor. I'm going to wait. And all of a sudden, a cancer of bitterness, anger, resentment grows. And we wait. We go, but I'm waiting to do you a favor. Come on, man. I wait. But forgiveness is not for the benefit of the offender. Forgiveness is for This is probably the biggest misunderstanding. We think that we are doing them a favor and it does them some good if they do ask. And we, but forgiveness, and we're gonna unpack this, unpack this more next week. 22, and Jesus and I tell you not seven times, but 77 times, another way of saying without limit. Without limit, Jesus, without limit. Verse 23, therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents brought to him, was brought to him. Here's to give you a gauge of how much this debt is. One denarii is one day's wages. 6,000 denarii is one talent. So 10,000 talents is roughly 60 million days of work. We're talking billions and billions of dollars. In other words, the debt is not a large sum of money. The debt is something that this guy can't pay. He can't pay this back. If you're going, but he's a servant. He's a cook. He does chores. How does he, he, servant in this context, in this text, is not a chore. We're talking about a vassal king or regional governor entrusted by the emperor to rule over a part of his empire. And through mismanagement or corruption, this vassal king, servant, puts the emperor, the king's Resources in jeopardy. Verse 25, since he was not able to pay the master order that he and his wife and his children and all that he had sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees and before him and said, be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. And the servant's master took pity. Splachna, everybody say splachna. Splachna, took pity. Same word that you see of Jesus in the gospels when it says he had compassion. There was a guttural <sighs> towards him. The king took pity. Took pity on him. He canceled the debt and let him go. Verse 28, but when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii that would be about a hundred days of wages. He grabbed him, began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me though, I'll pay you back. Sound familiar? Sound familiar? Same thing, but he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could repay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their king, their master, everything that had happened. Verse 32, then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had done to you? The king says to him, I did away with the bookkeeping, record-keeping way of dealing with you. And the way that you treated your servant was one of bookkeeping, record-keeping. And the apostle Paul will write, 1 Corinthians, love keeps no record.
Why are you keeping a record? Why do you insist on keeping a record? Why do you insist on keeping a record? Verse 34, Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid the entire debt. This is how my have... I wish this verse wasn't in the Bible. I want to I erase it if I could. This is my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you stop keeping a record. Unless you stop with your bookkeeping. Forgive your brother or sister from the heart. What I want you to notice, again, before we talk, healing balm next week about how to forgive. What I want you to notice is that this story ends with this servant being thrown into a prison of his own making because of his unwillingness to forgive. Let me say that again. This story ends with the servant being thrown into a prison of his own choosing, of his own making because of his unwillingness to forgive. Spiritually speaking, to not forgive someone is to bind our hearts to a lifetime of prison, of anger, hatred, bitterness. And the human heart was not created to hold toxic emotions like anger, hatred, and bitterness. Forgiveness doesn't excuse their behavior. Forgiveness prevents their, for beha forgiveness prevents their behavior from destroying your heart. God says forgive, not because if you don't, you're going to go to hell. God says forgive, not because if you don't, you're a bad Christian. God says forgive because I don't want you to live your life held in a prison of hate and anger, and bitterness. Do you know what bitterness does to you? Do you know why throughout the New Testament the Bible says forgive so you're not bitter? Do you know what bitterness does to you? Ephesians 4.30, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Get rid, it's a command, of all bitterness, all rage, and all anger, brawling and slander along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ God forgave you. Bitterness destroys our relationships. Bitterness destroys, what do I mean? Hebrews 12.14, make every effort to live at peace with everyone and to be holy. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up up to cause trouble and defile many. When a wife is bitter towards her husband, she takes it out on her kids. When a husband is bitter towards the wife, he takes it out on his kids. You can't contain toxic emotions like bitterness and hatred and anger and think that it's only going to affect one person. It spreads. Some of you are sitting here today and you've been affected by the bitterness that your parents carried for generations. You grew up in a household that was angry all the time. And I want to say this as gently and as firmly as possible. My prayer is that you would end that generational sin with you. Bitterness does something else. Bitterness, not only distorts relationship, bitterness also impairs our eyesight. Bitterness makes you and me blind. Bitterness makes you such a way that you can't see people around you who really care about you. You know what I hear bitter people say? They say things like, nobody cares about me. There are people right in front of you who love you. You just can't see them. Bitterness makes you blind to sincere efforts of people around your community who are trying to love the heck out of you. 
You know what else bitterness does? It leads to extreme isolation. Have you ever seen someone who's really bitter and they're alone all the time? Why? There are people right in front of their eyes who are saying, I love you, I care about you. They're going, I can't see it. Why? Bitterness. By the way, the reason why bitterness affects your relationship with God is when you're bitter and you're alone, you trust in nobody but yourself. You go, I'm not going to trust anybody. Do you think you could end that with relationship with people and not affect God? How many of us are sitting here today and saying, I'm not trusting anybody, and you think that's not going to affect your relationship with God? Bitterness, an enemy of faith, because you trust in no one but yourself. Bitterness also skews our perspective. Bitterness requires that you live in the past. The only way to stay bitter is to keep rehashing and reliving the past. Hope is ultimately about tomorrow. Bitterness is the enemy of hope because you keep living in the past and you become incapable of seeing a better future. Living in the past is a graveyard for hope. When you refuse to let go of the past, you are sacrificing your future. Bitterness also circumvents the healing process. You cannot not deal with bitterness and find wholeness. Do you know why? Do you know why I struggle with bitterness? Did I ever share with you guys that I have a mother who stopped speaking to her mother for 13 years? Do you know why bitterness is so intoxicating? Because it gives you an illusion of control. Bitterness goes, I'm going to keep you living in the past. You did that to me. I am I'm exercising control. You're not going anywhere. The problem is, if they ask you for forgiveness, whether you forgive them or not, they are free. And the only people that is chained to the past is you. Why are you sacrificing your future? Because you can't let go of the past. Forgiveness holds the key to the dungeon that keeps you in the dark. About who are you saying this morning? Everybody, I'm almost done. About who are you saying this morning? That time you failed me, I'm going to keep a record of that and hold that against you. About who are you saying? That time you said you would do otherwise and you didn't, I am going to keep a record of that and I'm going to hold this. About who are you saying, when you did that, I have a record of it. And about who are you saying, listen, forgiveness doesn't mean that you don't feel the pain. Forgiveness doesn't mean that you go back and change the past or it doesn't matter. Forgiveness simply means that you let them Go so that you and I are freed from a prison of hatred, bitterness, and anger. Let me end with this. And then I have an enormous ask. What we have to come to grips with, and maybe I shouldn't say this because some of y'all are like, I, I don't want to come back next week if that's the case. What you and I have to deal with is the fact that the essence of the gospel says there is death to record keeping. The essence of the gospel says Jesus does not love you because of all the good things you do and he does not withhold love from you because of all the bad things you do. 
Let me say that again. The essence of the gospel is I will not love you when you do good things, but I will withhold love, husband. I will withhold love, wife. I will withhold love because of all the stuff that you, the gospel says, Jesus Christ treats you not on the basis of what you do and what you've done, but what he does and what he's done. And Jesus says, just as I showed you mercy, show them mercy. But they don't deserve it. That's the definition of mercy. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Mercy is getting what you don't deserve. But you don't know what they've done, Peter, Jesus says, but I do. But I do. And you can't say, mercy for me, justice for them. No. No, it doesn't work that way. I know that there are some of you sitting here today who've walked in here this morning with anger, bitterness, even hatred towards someone or something. And maybe you're not ready this morning to go, I'm going to acknowledge that. Not, I'm going to deal with that, I'll be okay. No, 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 that's process. I'm simply asking, how many of you this morning are willing to be rigorously honest with yourself to go, I'm angry at my dad. I'm angry at my mom. I am so bitter towards my husband or my wife. I am so bitter towards that professor, towards that pastor, towards that leader. Because what they did. And I've kept the record and I have not and I'm not ready yet. I understand you're not ready for forgiveness. That's a process that may take years. All I'm asking simply here this morning is how many of you are sitting here and you are hearing God's voice loud and clear saying, when do you want to be free? When, child, do you want to finally be free from that prison? This story ends, come on up in a way that you won't expect. But here's where I want to go for next week. Next week when we circle back, we are going to relook at this parable and dig into what does forgiveness look like and how do we do it. But first things first. I need you to close your eyes right where you are. Ruth and all of the folks that Ruth has asked to be available and ready for prayer, you guys come on up. You guys come on up. Stand up. They're going to be... Just keep your eyes closed. There are men and women in our church, amazing men and women in our church, who have experienced and are experiencing even today the difficulties and challenges of forgiving. These men and women up here who are praying for you, praying with you, they're not up here because they got this and they're right. They're up here because they know intimately what it is that you and I struggle with. What is the worst thing that could happen if you were to come up and ask one of these men and women to pray for you? The worst thing literally is that you would feel for a moment the power of being loved, of being heard, of having someone saying, I am a sojourner with you on this journey. It's okay. The way that I'm going to end today's service is this way, you guys. I'm going to pray a prayer, and then I've asked Jamie and the worship team to lead us in an extended worship. Here's what that means. Anytime in the next 
10 minutes or so. Feel free to come up, to sit, to stand. It's up to you. But I would love, love, love and be so encouraged if some of you guys, who I am speaking to, you know who you are, that you would come on up and ask one of these men and women to hold your hand, to hug you, and to pray for you on this journey. You're welcome to stick around in the sanctuary as long as you want to in this extended worship for the next 10 minutes or so. If you do need to go and you need to leave, I would ask and pray. Today's one of those Sundays that you do so quietly in the fellowship hall, talk. But, but man, can we create this sacred space to respect those of us that just needed this space this morning? If you have anybody in your mind and your life who you've kept the record of and you want to be free, take advantage of this time. So there will be benediction right here, right now. There will be no official closing. This is just after benediction, worship, respond, come up and receive prayer. Pray for each other. Can we all stand together, church? Stand up. If you are standing next to someone that you care about, that you love, that you know, this might be a good time just to kind of wrap your arm around their shoulder just to let them know they're not alone. Lord, I, I just want to, as I pray right now, bind the enemy, bind Satan the enemy who would speak condemnation, who would speak hopelessness, who would speak lies right now that said things like, don't even bother. Why are you bothering? It'll never happen. Who are saying things like, that ain't for you. Other people, not you. Who are saying things like, other, other people are worthy of love, not you. Who are saying things like, forgiveness will never happen. Who are saying things like, this is hopeless. Who are saying that that guy up there is talking nonsense. Why are you even paying attention? I pray you would bind that enemy in Jesus' name. You would bind that enemy in Jesus' name. Jesus name you would bind that voice in Jesus name and that you would God allow us to hear your voice you would allow us to hear your voice may this be a time God of honesty of authenticity but also vulnerability and transparency pray for my brothers and sisters that are hurt, that are wounded, that are held captive, God, to anger and bitterness and hate. Father, will you, will you do the work that only you can? I can't, God. None of us can. Help them to hear your voice, to be bold, to be courageous. To be dependent and to be weak. To experience your power.